if you put Brendan, put your hand in the camera. All right. Okay. Yep. And then just bend your fingers. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to episode 21 of the Next Big Thing podcast, where we interview the founders and CEOs of crowdfunding startups. Today, we've got an episode that quite literally touches on the future by giving the gift of touch back to those who've lost it. We're thrilled to introduce Dr. Adil Akhtar, the CEO and founder of Psionic, a company revolutionizing the world of prosthetics. With groundbreaking technology and a mission to make advanced prosthetics affordable, Dr. Akhtar is changing lives across the globe. Uh, we talked before the episode started and one of the things I wanted to make sure we mentioned, they are raising on start engine right now. The link will be in the description and I hope you guys check out the campaign and during the interview, uh, learn a little bit more about psionic. So with that being said, Dr. Akhtar, thank you for your time. Uh, you brought an interesting demo as I mentioned before we started talking, I can't wait to hear about it and welcome on the next big thing podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me guys. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, he was showing us a little bit before we started. I, I was fascinated about it. So why don't we jump right into it? Um, tell us the backstory. Tell us, you know, from the early days of Psionic, where the idea came from, the inspiration and how it started. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to build bionic limbs my entire life ever since I was seven years old. Uh, so I was born in the Chicago suburbs, but my parents are from Pakistan. And um, that was, uh, I was visiting when I was seven and that was the first time I had met someone missing a limb and she was my age, missing her right leg and using a tree branch as a crutch. That's what inspired me to go into the field and want to develop advanced bionic limbs that were affordable and accessible for everyone. Um, so I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in biology from Loyola University, Chicago, master's degree in computer science there, taught there for a couple of years, then went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, got another master's in electrical and computer engineering, PhD in neuroscience, and then I left medical school because building bionic limbs was a little bit more fun. <laughs> and while I was doing graduate school, I had the chance to go down to Quito, Ecuador, where we uh, were uh, working with a nonprofit organization called the Range of Motion Project. Their whole mission is to provide prosthetics to those who can't afford them in uh, developing nations. So the, uh, uh, Guatemala, Ecuador, and even uh, people who can't afford it in the U.S. And, uh, and so... We went down there, and this is part of a you know a long story of two weeks of all-nighters trying to get this hand to work. And uh, our patient, Juan, he made a pinch with his left hand for the first time in 35 years. Uh, and, you know, the hand at the time, it was like three times the size of an average adult human hand, had wires going everywhere, plugging their breadboards, power supplies, the wall, you name it. But he was still able to make this pinch and in front of international news stations. He literally said he felt as though a part of him had come back. And that's when I realized that, you know, if I stay on this like track of getting like an MD and a PhD, I work in an academic hospital, then this just ends up as like a journal paper or a university project. If we want everyone to feel the same way that Juan did, we had to commercialize the technology. And that's when Psionic was born. Well, that story is super powerful and super inspiring. Now, you started Psionic, and I'm sure the ability hand doesn't look like it looks right now. So can you talk us through kind of the process of 
first creating the MVP and then how it got to the ability hand that we know today? Yeah, and so this is what we internally call Mark 9 of the ability hand. So there's been nine generations of this hand where we basically rebuilt the entire thing from scratch and like rewrote all the software, et cetera, um, that's, that's on this thing. And uh, when we first started out, we were working with um, open source designs that we had found online. So there's like these humanoid robots that we modified um, that to just use the hand as well as like um, other like hand designs that we had found. And we just started there, started putting our own software on them, started putting our own electronics in them, figured out what like the issues were. And then we started making our own designs that we open sourced ourselves. And so Mark, I think like three through five are, is all open sourced and you can actually go online and, and, uh, uh, and start building them. And, um, and so when we went down to Ecuador, we had this giant like 3D printed hand that I was telling you about, right? And then we came back to the US. We, um, uh, we met our first patient in the US who was a retired army sergeant, who, uh, Sergeant Garrett Anderson. He lost his hand in Iraq in 2005 due to a roadside bomb. Um, and he used a hook on a daily basis. And we were like, you know, we need to upgrade him to the 21st century, right? And right, um, right. the thing is, is that he is like, you know, he's an army guy. He's like army strong, right? So he's super rough on his prosthetic limbs. And we were like, okay, we need to make something that's going to be able to survive him using this, right? Because if we give him a purely 3D printed hand, he's going to destroy this thing within like a week, like maybe even a day of using it, right? And so we had to figure out how we could still leverage the low cost of 3D printing while still while making this hand more robust than anything else that was out there. And that's when we came across a field called soft robotics. And in soft robotics, instead of making like your robots out of rigid materials like metal or like or, or rigid plastics, you use soft materials like your own skin, so like silicone and rubber and things like that. And so if you look at this hand, right, I'm like flexing these fingers as though they were like, you know, natural like rubber, like like your own fingers can, right? So I can take this and I can smash it and it totally survives the impact. Um, Sergeant Anderson actually punched through three wooden boards set on fire in my driveway. I've uh, climbed the roof of my house. I dropped the hand 30 feet in the air. It survived. We even put the hand in a dryer for 10 minutes and it survived just tumbling around in a dryer. I've arm wrestled against a paratriathlete national champion and I lost. Um, and <laughs> on it, like, like, this man can take uh, quite a beating and we wanted to make sure that it was going to be able to survive um, for our users because that was like one of the biggest pain points um, that, they, uh, that they found. Some other things were that the hands that were out there were just too slow. So this is a hand. Um, so you can see all five fingers flexing extend and some rotates as well. But the hand was really fast. So this is the fastest bionic hand in the world. The, the you know, fingers close in about 200 milliseconds, um, which is technically faster than we blink our own eyes. And it's around two and a half times faster than uh, other hands that are out on the market. And uh, that's just been a game changer for our users. Like one of them... Um, he, three minutes after he got the hand, um, for the first time, someone like threw him a water bottle and he was able to catch it because he was able to just react so quickly and the fingers were able to move so fast. Uh, and, uh, the other thing is that this is the first hand to give users a sense of touch. And that was really important as well because, uh, Sergeant Anderson, he told us that when he got like one of his like first prosthetic hands, he tried to shake his grandmother's hand and he ended up like almost like breaking it because like breaking her hand because it was just squeezing too hard and he couldn't control the amount of force. And with ours, he told us that he's actually able to like hold his daughter's hand and like feel her face um, because of the touch sensitivity that we, the touch sensors that we have in the fingertips and we relay it to him via vibration motor. 
And so we've got all this amazing functionality that's new to the field with the most important part that we actually got it covered by Medicare in the U.S. So we've expanded access from 10% of patients who could afford an advanced bionic hand, which was if you were in the military or if you were, had a workplace accident, 75% of Americans can now afford the most advanced bionic hand. That's what we're all about. Um, so it's been quite a journey over the last nine years um, to get to this point. And, you know, the one of the most amazing moments actually was last week. Um, we just got back from Ecuador um, a couple days ago, and we, we finally delivered the latest version of the ability hand to Juan. So he had tried a couple of earlier prototypes and he never got to like keep it because it wasn't going to last. And finally, after nine years, we went down there and it was like, it was so emotional. Like, like he was crying, like our engineers were crying, like his wife was just so emotional about the whole experience. And it gave him so much hope again. And we were, we were grateful that, that, you know, this is why we do what we do. That's amazing. And I'm sure just his emotion, his reaction just made all the hours you've put into Psyonix so worth it and just seeing how much it's impacted and changed his life. Now, you did talk about touch feedback. Can you talk more about touch feedback and how it works? Yeah. So on the on the fingers themselves, we've got six touch sensors in each finger. So there's one on the fingertip, the finger pad, two on the outside of the finger and two on the inside of the finger. And it can handle weights from like 10 grams, which is like super, super light, all the way to like 10 kilograms, which is like really heavy. Right. Um, and then um, we relay that to a vibration motor that's in the socket. So when you touch the finger, it'll like vibrate for like a split second. And then um, the harder you, you touch the finger, the stronger that vibration would be. And then when you let go, it'll vibrate again. So it lets the user know when they've touched an object, how hard they touch the object and when they've let go. Now, that being said, where things get really interesting here is that uh, we've been working with researchers on doing like things like nerve implants. So like direct uh, like sensors that are on your nerves inside your body as well as brain implants, right? And um, there was a... Uh, a, a team at University of Chicago that was on 60 Minutes like uh, in the past couple months, and they had a patient who was paralyzed. I believe it was in a car accident several years ago, and um, he had these brain implants installed in him, and he was controlling our hand on a robot arm just by thinking, and he shook the 60 Minutes host hand, but then they actually blindfolded him, and the the researcher, doctor, the late Dr. Sleeman Vatsmaya, um he touched um, the fingers on our, on our hand and the patient was like, that's my index finger. That's my middle finger. That's my ring finger. Cause they were stimulating that area of his brain that corresponds to like his natural hand. And I was just like, this is incredible. Right. And so we built our hand to work with clinically available systems. Now, like something simple, like a vibration motor, that's kind of like your phone vibrating. Right. But as well as these future systems that will come on in the next five to 10 years that are like directly, you know, merging man and machine by using brain implants and nerve implants. And we're really excited about being at the forefront of this technology. Well, that that is far above my pay grade, but that is incredibly <laughs> fascinating, I will say. Um, wanted to get into the hand as it relates to its uh, placement in the market today for prosthetics. Uh, I have a couple Facts here, a couple of which you mentioned. It's the fastest on the market, 200 millisecond closing speed. It's the first with multi-touch feedback. Uh, it weighs 20% lighter than the average human hand, and it costs about half as much as similar products. So 
maybe two part question. What are your competitors and what makes this hand different than the competitors hands? Yeah. And I would say there's about like four or five major competitors, but I mean, uh, there, and there's like new ones cropping up all the time because the thing is with the advent of like consumer 3d printing, like, like it's, it's made building robots and things like that much more accessible. And that's how we started too. Back in 2013, there was like a huge boom in consumer 3d printing. And we were like, why don't we, you know, we're at one of the top engineering schools at the university of Illinois. Why don't we build our own hand? And uh, so these, the, the, the really big ones um, are the two biggest like prosthetics companies in the world, Autobach and Oser. Um, and uh, they have um, the, like the V-Bionic hand, the, the ILIM uh, as well. And then there's like Tasca and Open Bionics. Um, and they're all like, um, you know, it's, it's great that there's so many options for, for patients to um, have bionic hands in particular. And so uh, one of the things that we wanted to focus on were, were kind of these like, we have a good insight on where this field is kind of heading, right? Um, because as a as coming from like, you know, my PhD work, we, we kind of like got a good understanding of like what the limits of the technology are right now with things like, you know, brain implants and like nerve implants and things like that, and like as well as like robotic hardware. And that's when we we're like, okay, so I, we see a pathway of making like touch feedback feasible, right? Because they were starting to like these researchers are starting to do these like invasive techniques to like stimulate your nerves. So we should build a hand that has like the like touch feedback built in. And then we, we did our customer discovery process and we found out they wanted fast, they wanted robust, things like that. And we were like, okay, how can we do all of these, these things? And so those were the, the features that we built into our hands. Um, and from the get go, after talking with so many clinicians, they were like, if you can do all of that and make it covered by Medicare, then you've got something that's really special. That's going to be like a home run um, in the market. And that's what we set out to do. And, and, and we were able to do it. And as of September of 2021, the ability hand has been uh, available nationwide um, across the uh, entire U S um, and it's uh, available globally for robotics researchers including it's being used at NASA, it's being used at Meta by humanoid robotics um, companies like uh, Aptronic and, and Hexagon. And, um, and so uh, what's really interesting there um, is that if you're building a, a robot to do human tasks, well, we've optimized our hand to do human tasks for humans, right? So it makes sense that the robots would use the same thing. And, uh, and so I think NASA had seen like one of our videos online of like me doing like this, like demonstration at the consumer electronics show. And they were like, we could use this on our robots. And, uh, and so then we went, actually went to Houston uh, a couple months ago, um, to Johnson space center where we saw their humanoid robot using our robot hand. And we had a couple of our, our own like human users there with us. And we have this like epic picture of one of our users like fist bumping this humanoid robot and they're both using the same hand. And the coolest thing was, is that like, uh, we were kind of like, you know, teaching the NASA uh, engineers how best to use our hand to do like these tasks that they're going to do on the International Space Station because we had expert like human users using our hand to do it. And I was just like, wow, this is just crazy. And so we have this like incredible like, new market that hasn't been tapped into from the prosthetic side of all these like robotics researchers and humanoid robots that are going to be exploding over the next like five to 10 years. And it's the exact same hand that's going on on both our patients and our, and the robots. You reminded me a few episodes back, we uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Harry Clore of Beyond Imagination. Uh, he does AI humanoid robots. 
And just hearing him talk about the incredible innovation that has happened in such a short period of time uh, was super inspiring. So I guess I don't want to take a pessimistic view, but you know, there's been a ton of innovation in it's, it seems in prosthetics over since you've started Psychonic. Where do you think the industry still needs to improve on and maybe how can Psionic uh, be a part of that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is, um, uh, so this goes like, um, uh, just dovetailed nicely with um, uh, our recent move. So we moved about a year ago to San Diego. We we're, we're in uh, Illinois before. And um, in San Diego, it's like a, you know, it's a med tech hub. There's um, also the military hospital and, and UCSD. And so uh, I'm affiliate faculty at UCSD. We're working with their orthopedics department and bioengineering, um, as well as the Navy hospital and their clinicians and their orthopedic surgeons as well. And the kind of the next frontier of this is um, one of the things I had mentioned was nerve implants, but also bone integration. And so the way that this, this hand works, right? So right now I'm controlling you with these two buttons right here. And the most common way is that if you're missing your hand below your elbow, you'll have muscle sensors that are placed like on the outside of your skin. So you might be, you might not be familiar with those muscle sensors, but what you probably are familiar with is like EKG. So it's like that thing when you go into an ambulance and they put those sensors over your heart and you see mm -hmm. that little monitor, right? Uh, and then like, if you're dead, then it flatlines, right? Um, so yeah, imagine yeah. those same sensors instead of placing it over your heart, you place it over your muscle and that when you're, when you're just relaxing and you're not active, it's like a flat line. But then when you flex your muscles, you'll see this huge burst of like, like activity on that, uh, on that screen. That's what we're using to primarily to control these, um, devices. Right now, the thing is there's the, that like muscle sensing technology has actually been around for at least like 60 years, um, or so. And, um, it's it has limitations right like if you if you sweat like um if you're like got a lot of like thick skin if, if you're not well hydrated like um that all affects like the, the signals you get from that right um so we can get much better signals to control the hand if we go invasive and the other thing is that so this is the hand itself i just popped it off of this little stand right over here right the way that this is attached is through something that we call a socket. And so basically if I was missing my hand here, you'd have like almost like a cast. Like if you broke your arm, it's like molded to your residual limb. And then you attach this onto the, the cast, basically the socket. Mm -hmm. um, and you can imagine like that can get really uncomfortable. Like there's a lot of friction, like it gets hot, like things like that, sweaty. Um, and it's not really how your own natural hand is attached to your body. You're not wearing it like a shoe over your arm, right? It's directly attached to your bones. And so we've been working with, um, uh, with researchers and, um, and clinicians who are taking a titanium implant and um, literally like drilling it inside of your, of your bone. And then it comes out of your body and then you attach the hand directly to this titanium implant. So it's attached directly to your bones and it's called osteointegration. And so just this past February, um, the, uh, Dr. James Flint at the Navy hospital and Dr. French Harapra at UCSD and I, we had all gone down to Australia to train with one of the top, um, orthopedic surgeons in the world who pioneered this technique, um, so that we can start doing it in San Diego. And, um, we want to couple that with these nerve implants that allow you to do individual finger control. So we're hoping that in the next couple of years, we might have our first patients playing piano or typing on a keyboard again. And that is going to be, you know, next level stuff that's not possible right now. That is cool. Um, I wasn't going to ask this question, but I'm curious now, so I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, 
Can you bring me through your supply chain and how the Cyanocan comes together? Yeah, and so uh, most of it is actually done in-house here in San Diego where we build uh, where we build all of it. So our motors and our gears um, and uh, our, we design the circuit boards here, but then we get them uh, made in China. So the motors, gears, and the PCBs come from um, China. So we spent the summer of 2017 in Shenzhen, which was just absolutely wild. Uh, my wife was like, seven months pregnant at the time and we had a one and a half year old son like my director of engineering and like three other like students all in a high rise only one of us spoke chinese and were there for literally like two and a half months and it was just like it was absolutely nuts um but we that's where we found our motor and our gear manufacturers that we still use to this day so it was an incredible trip it's like the silicon valley of, of, of like china basically um and then everything else we basically do in-house. So we do all of the carbon fiber work. We do all the silicone molding. We do all the fabric. We do all the assembly. We do all the, the, the firmware uploading, testing. Everything is done here. So, um, yeah, it's we. Uh, the cool thing about this is that we invented a lot of the manufacturing techniques to make like a, a device like this, which is, uh, uh, which is why, you know, you can do things like punch through flaming boards and things like that. Um, with, with, you know, these silicone and rubber hybrid fingers and 3D printing and all of that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, if you guys are ever in San Diego, I'd love to have you come by and you can check out to see like how we make every single one of these hands that go on, that goes out into the real world. Well, I would love to check it out and just walk through and see what it's like. And you have some big ambitions for San Diego, right? You want San Diego to become, what'd you say, the hub of bionics in the future? Yeah. The bionics capital of the world. So my goal is to turn San Diego into the bionics capital of the world. And it's because we have all these pieces here, right? So we have the military hospital, we have UCSD. There's two prosthetic schools like near LA, which is a couple hours north of here. Um, we have the, the Challenge Athletes Foundation. Um, and so there's like all these pieces that that are like kind of like, in, uh, like independent that I want to kind of bring together. And we have a five-year goal of making a, an ability leg that you can do a triathlon in. So that would be with the Challenge Athletes Foundation, with the Military Hospital, with UCSD, kind of bringing all those resources together to have someone run, bike, and swim with like a leg that's directly attached to your bones and controlled by your nerves. And I think this is the, the best place to do it. You know, the weather doesn't hurt either, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the, that's the goal for five in five years. And you think within how many years will you be able to get the bone transplant in an individual for one of the bio, the ability hand? Do you say two, yeah, so three? I, yeah, we're hoping within the next like two years or so that um, we'll we'll start having. And so we have a couple patients who are above elbow who um, have the bone implant, and um, some that have in, uh, like implanted muscle electrodes, but none yet that have uh, implanted nerve electrodes. And the reason why I'm distinguishing between those two is with muscle electrodes, you can still only really do these like pre-programmed grips like I was doing here, right? So like a finger wave or yep. like, um, for example, here's like a power grip. Um, you, we can do like, you know, the precise pinching. And if you're at a rock concert, you can uh, rock on, right? Uh, and so, um, but these are pre-programmed grips. With the nerve implants, we can do like individual finger control. And actually, we're gonna do something fun here. Um, so I'm gonna pop this guy off of here and I'm gonna put it on um, this socket that I've got uh, on this, right? So I'm gonna turn this guy on. The only difference between this guy and the other one is that this has a USB cable that's attached to the bottom of it. And if I hooked everything up correctly, I'm gonna connect this guy to my phone and 
you guys will actually be able to um, control the hand from from where you guys are at. So uh, actually, I hope everyone's you, watching. <laughs> so, so if you put Brendan, if you put your hand in the camera. Okay. Yep. And then just bend your fingers. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, so you can be all the way across the entire world doing this. And I've done this like on Zoom calls all the time. And that level of control, right, where you're moving individual fingers, that's what we're talking about doing with nerve implants to get someone to play piano or type on the keyboard again. How does that work? Yeah, so the way I was doing it right now was that my phone's camera was recognizing Brendan's hand and it was actually tracking like all the movements of his hand and then we were relaying that to the hand to move in real time. Um, but the same, so it's using like machine learning and, and like AI to do the hand tracking. But the same algorithms that are used for that can be used for nerve implants, like nerve data coming uh, from your, your neurons, right? And so we'll be using that in place of a camera to actually control the hand instead. That's amazing. That's really, really amazing. And you can see how powerful that technology is going to be and how that's going to really help all these people that have disabilities that are missing limbs. Now they're going to have a bionic hand that can function like a hand. And you brought up some of the points about durability and speed. And I never thought about those being pain points for people that are missing limbs and how you're addressing that. But one of the most interesting pain points you brought up is it being covered by Medicare. So can you explain that Medicare problem before the ability hand came out and then how you work to solve that problem? Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, so before our hand really came along, there were two insurers that really covered uh, like uh, an advanced bionic hand. That was if you were in the military or, in, or if you were in uh, uh, had a workplace accident, so workers' compensation. It only accounted for about like 10% of the market, but as I was mentioning. So the gold standard insurer is Medicare. And you, usually if Medicare covers it, then all private insurers will usually cover it as well, right? So your Blue Cross Blue Shield, your Aetna, like whatever, right? Um, and the thing is, is that Medicare would only cover at, like the price point for just a hand at, at like $31,000. And the clinicians were trying to double their margins for them to like, you know, be, be able to uh, succeed in their business as well, right? Um, and so that meant that we had to target a price point of $15,500. Uh, and so the other hands usually typically cost between $26,000 and $32,000 to the clinician. The clinician tries to double those margins up being like 50 to 60k and so then medicare will only cover 31k and they're like well we're not going to cover this so we gotta uh, we gotta figure something else out and uh and so we were like okay so we have to set a price point of 15,500, and then like basically figure out how we can make the hand under those constraints and you know when you when you've got those constraints up front it like forces you to think in a different way right like how can we leverage low cost manufacturing solutions to keep the prices low um, and the costs low so that we can actually hit that medicare price point and because we were forced to think in that way and we took the soft robotics approach we we're actually able to hit that price point and that's how we're able to get that medicare coverage so I guess insurance is a as good of a segue as any into just business side of the of psionic, um, even though insurance is usually pretty boring. Um, <laughs> but uh, but not for your business because it's an extremely uh, <laughs> but but um, can you talk about how psionic has evolved as a business? Um, you know, obviously you have a great product, but you know it's a lot of great products. You know, 
it's you have to build a business alongside a product. How has the business evolved since you started? Yeah, and so um, you know, it it usually, especially when you're working with a medical device, right? Because we have to go through FDA registration and all of that stuff. Like these, these things take time. And so um, we did a limited, like uh, like a beta release of our hand uh, in September of 2019. It was just in like the the Midwestern United States. And then um, and then we wanted to make sure that you know if anything goes wrong, we could drive out to them and then get everything fixed. And then like after like two years of doing that in September of 2021, we officially launched the Ability Hand nationwide because it was it was ready. And um, and so that year, I think we did like I think it was like um, like close to like 200k in revenue. Um, in 2021. And then um, in 2022, we basically quadrupled that and we did over a million in revenue. Uh, so last year, and um, we were actually profitable um, as well. So um, and, and for I think I just read some statistic recently that less than 10% of like cro- equity crowdfunded startups are actually profitable. And like we're yep. one of the, like, the few that um, are are profitable. And that was like, uh, really exciting for us. And for us, that was really important too. We wanted to make sure that we could build a viable business before, um, you know, raising a ton of money and then just going gangbusters just to be one of the other statistic of the 90% of uh, startups that never are profitable or end up failing, right? Um, and so that's that's our biggest issue right now is that we've got more demand than we can produce. And it's a great problem to have. And that's why we're actually raising on Start Ninja right now is so that we can actually increase our production and get these hands to as many people uh, that need them around the world and on robots as well. So maybe to tie the last two topics together, um, how has your go-to-market strategy evolved now with Medicare being a part of it? Um, you just mentioned you have more demand than you can produce for. So what customers are you attacking first? And, uh, you know, what do you see that? How do you see that evolving going forward? Yeah, you know, and this is where things get interesting as well, too. So traditionally, the way that, that you know, medical devices and uh, prosthetic hands included are sold is that you have sales reps, right? You've got like like regional sales reps all across the U.S. And then like you have them go and visit the clinics and then like the trade shows and things like that, right? And um, we've actually only had one sales rep and they've been on retainer for like the last year because again, our, our demand is far exceeding our, our supply. And uh, part of the reason for that too is that half of our sales come from social media. And for a wow. medical device company, that's actually pretty unheard of, right? Yeah. And, and so the thing is, is that we're showing us doing these crazy things with the hand, like flaming board breaking. We even did like, uh, if you remember that trend of bottle flip tricks where you have like a partially filled yeah. bottle of water, right? You can imagine it's a lot harder to do with a bionic hand, but we had one of our uh, one of our patients, Kate Kettlehone, she was 17 when she got the hand. She came over to our lab and she was just nailing these shots like all over the place. And we were like, this is awesome, right? And then And then our potential patients see this and they're like, I didn't even know you could do this with a bionic hand. Like, how can I get it? And then they contact us and then we put them in, we either work with their clinician if they're already working with one, or we put them in contact with one in their area. Um, And that's how it just like drives um, a a ton of sales that way. And, and so because of that, like that's, it's it's been a huge part of our go-to-market strategy has been like going to the consumers themselves, even though the payers are insurance and the the clinicians, um, the, it's, the patients have the, the, um, make the decision at the end of the day of whether they're going to go with the hand. So um, if we can work with them directly and then work with their clinicians as well, it's like a win-win for, for everyone. Yeah. And it kind of brought me back to what you said a couple of minutes ago about 
um, you know, Medicare with how, you know, doctors will sell it for this much and Medicare will only cover this much. And what you're doing when you're selling through social media is you're empowering the consumer. And it's incredible. It's, it's refreshing to see that in, in something, you know, a product that'd be so beneficial to the consumer. Uh, I was just going to, let me just add something to that. Yeah. Add to it. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why we actually decided to go the equity crowdfunding route as well as uh-huh. we already had like this large social media presence and we were building this community and we were like, you know, if we're a company all about accessibility, like making this hand more accessible to, to as many patients as possible. Why don't we make the company accessible as well? And so that's why we were like, let's, let's let anyone who wants to be a part of this, like be able to invest on, uh, on through equity crowdfunding. And the most beautiful thing is that our own patients have invested in the company. So it's like they get to be a part of us making the thing for them. And it's just like this, this I couldn't have asked for anything uh, more uh, to come out of it. That's fantastic. And uh, before I forget, it's on Start Engine and the link is in the description. I'll try and say that a few more times before the end of the interview. Um, I guess to kind of keep it on crowdfunding, how's the campaign been going? Maybe expand on um, the experience you've had with uh, people uh, that have been using the hand, uh, investing in the company, and um, you know, maybe go into a little bit more detail about what the money is going to be used for. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, we started almost a year ago um, now, and we've raised over two point two million on uh, Start Engine, and um, that's been like in- incredible. Um, I think uh, on our regular, our, um, what's it, the regulation CF, we can raise up to five million. And so, like, we're we're good. I mean, we were profitable, right? So, anything that, that we raise right now is, means just the faster we can go and getting like our production up. And um, we should be. We're currently on track um, to scale up our production about um, three to four x from what we were at um, earlier in the year. So we're buy we're using a lot of the funds to buy like new machines and hire more assembly people so that we can get our production up. So we have. A, a new CNC machine that we can like carve metal, uh, carve metal in 3D. We've got a metal laser cutter. Um, we've got like a new 3D printer, like industrial 3D printer coming in next week. And um, we're really excited about getting these hands to more people who need them all around the world, uh, including, you know, like I said, uh, our patients who have invested in the company that like, you know, they, they really believe in what we're doing and they see the, the future of where we're going with this technology with like the bone integration and the nerve implants. And, you know, it gives them hope too right and that's the the most important thing for us right is is our patients we want to make sure that they're taken care of and they they know that we're on their side and for them to be a part of the company itself like it's that that's there's no better proof of that than that yeah that's the best proof of concept you can have right the fact that the patients want to become investors want to be part of the company and I can clearly tell how patient focused you are because you'll have them come to the headquarters. You'll have them try out the different uh, bionic hands. I think that's very inspiring just because clearly this is such a mission driven company and you're trying to solve something much bigger than just making money. You're trying to make the world a better place. You're trying to give people with these disabilities. You're trying to eliminate the disability and make them still feel like they can do everything that they once thought that they were missing out on. So it's very powerful, very inspiring. Check it out on Start Engine. I do want to shift it a little bit to what has what is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome with starting Psionic? Oh, the biggest? I mean, there's been there's been many along the way, right? Like on the technical side, it was like you know how. Do, so I, I mentioned earlier that we invented a lot of like the uh, the processes for like 
for like manufacturing this stuff, right? So if, like I said, if you come over here, uh, we have literal like like chest of drawers full of old prototypes of just like hundreds to like thousands of iterations of like small components for like each one of these fingers, like finger bones, like the, the enclosures that go around the motors. So just figuring that stuff out, right? So that that's always been a huge challenge. Um, but even like, you know, like building a company on this, right, is, is, has not been yeah, easy either, right? So uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story. So when we went to China that um, summer of 2017, we had um, done like an Indiegogo campaign um, around that time too. And I think we were trying to raise like 250K or something like that. And we ended up raising $6,000, right? Instead of $250,000, right? And we were hoping that, you know, this could be like, uh, this is what's going to shift us away from being like students at a university to like, you know, fully fledged business. And we only raised like $6,000. And, you know, granted, this was all like donation, right? And that wasn't like equity crowdfunding uh, necessarily, right? But, uh, like at the end of that year, we had, I think, $200 left in our bank account. And again, this was six years ago, right? Uh, but earlier that summer, we had applied for a grant from the National Science Foundation that was for um, 225K. And we found out like in the last weeks of December that we were getting this grant and it was going to kick in in January. So literally on the first week of January, we go from $200 in our bank account to $200,200 in our bank account. It's more money than we before. And we were just like, wow, it's such, such a roller coaster ride, right? Like any, as any startup is, right? You have low lows, but then you have these like high highs when you see our patients doing like incredible things and, and like giving them hope back, right? And fortunately, we're in a situation now that, like I said, we're profitable, like we're, we're starting to expand. There's more demand for our hand. Like we've got this whole robotic sector um, as well. And I mean, the biggest thing going through that entire process is probably comes down to two things. One is having grit, like, and, and perseverance and just like being able to make it through those low lows so you can get to the high highs. And the other thing is just being grateful um, for the, the entire experience. Like I am so incredibly grateful that I get to work with such amazing individuals from my team at Psionic to our amazing patients. Um, who are who are doing incredible things um, with their with their bionic limbs? So uh, it's it's been an amazing journey. Does flying down to Ecuador and seeing Juan or working with the patients in person really help you tr like be much more grateful than if you didn't see them? Just having that interaction and being able to see this product actually work its magic in person. Absolutely, one hundred percent, and and. That's why we we try as much as we can to have a direct personal relationship with each one of our patients. Uh, and a lot of, uh, I, I mean, I know a lot of companies and a lot of clinicians try to like, um, like, you know, have a little bit more of like uh, independence, like, like keep that separate. But uh, the thing is, is that when you have a company that's directly like cares, right, that directly works with every single one of your patients, like it makes a huge difference um, in, in their lives. And um, that's important for us. And we want to have that level of care, that level of quality um, so that our patients don't think that, you know, it's like, oh, you've got a hand, you're on your own now. Like you're, 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 all of your problems are going to be solved. No, we want you to it, it, like have the best quality of life that you can um, with this bionic hand. So I guess looking back, what advice would you give to yourself when you started the company 
if you right now were able to go back and say it to them? Um, I mean, honestly, it, I think I think it would come down to those two things again: the, the uh, being grateful and and um, and having grit, and just like reminding myself that you know. This will be, you know, this will all be okay. This will all be good. Like, just, just keep going through with it. I mean, that's what, I mean, I, I'm still telling myself that to, to this day too. And things have been uh, working out pretty well. So, uh, yeah. So what is your ambition for the company? You know, when you look down five, 10 years down the road, 15, 20 years down the road, like when you're sitting down at night and really reflecting and thinking forward, like what is that? Paint me a picture of what that looks like. Yeah. And so that would probably be, seamless integration between the human body and and robotic devices right um, so this is i've been touching on like you know the nerve control direct bone integration and things like that and you know something that's really interesting on that front too is that um especially with the the nerve implant stuff right i mean brendan when you did that demo you it was like exactly tracking like what your fingers were doing right and so if I had nerve implants in my arm, then uh, even with my natural hand, I could potentially track exactly what my natural hand is doing from these nerve implants. And so I even potentially see a market for um, people without disabilities um, getting these nerve implants and then being able to control basically any device. So imagine it as, as my remote control, right? I, it replaces my mouse, it replaces my remote control for my TV, it replaces my game controller because this nerve implant stuff knows exactly what my hand is trying to do. And then we can like connect that to any robotic device. But on top of that, this is where it gets even crazier, right? I can feel from that, right? If I'm touching something in virtual reality, I can stimulate your nerves to make it feel like it's actually coming from like your fingertips, even though there's nothing actually there, right? And what, what's cool about this is that this levels the playing field, right? The same thing that is being used for people who are with disabilities who are missing their limbs is the exact same thing that everyone like, like non-disabled people want as well. So it becomes like just this consumer level product. And that's kind of the future that I'm envisioning actually in the next like 10 years or so. So I, I was going to transition into a final question, but I have to uh, <laughs> ask you about something you just said there. So let me, let me get this straight. So you're saying that a person who didn't need a prosthetic at this point, way down in the future yeah. could use this technology to enter into a VR, you know, that something that's honestly been trying to be built very recently and sort of seen a little bit of a, a dip um, and almost interact with feel in that world. Yes, exactly. And, and I mean, one of the reasons why these technologies haven't been adopted so widely is that they're clunky. Right. I mean, you have to wear yeah. this like green glove and then like you feel like weird vibrations and things like that as, as like haptic feedback. Right. But if you tap directly into your nerves and make it this like seamless interface, that's when things are going to be adopted much more widely, much more seamlessly. And that's what I'm envisioning. So you have that's a and does that you have a partnership with Meta, too, right? Yes. So yes. So Meta is that several of our <laughs> So is that kind of playing into your future vision, working with Meta on their VR real and just making it more, I guess, of a reality instead of just a virtual reality? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> that is fascinating. That's fascinating. Um, 
we're running a little low on time, so I will leave you with this last question, uh, which I actually haven't asked in a, a few episodes, but I think it fits for this one. Um, how is your company going to change the world? Oh, well, um, one hand at a time. <laughs> I love that. You know, it's uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know the company. I, again, I said this earlier in the episode, way above my pay grade, like way above my pay grade. I, I am no engineer by, by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I appreciate you taking the time, Dr. Akhtar, and, and, and talking to us. And uh, if I ever do find myself in San Diego, uh, expect an email from me. And, and uh, maybe if Connor's with me, we'll stop by, definitely. Would love to have you over anytime. <laughs> yep. And don't forget, they are raising on Start Engine. So go check it out. It'll be in the link down below. Um, so you already mentioned it's going to help the money you raise from start engine is going to help with the demand side or the supply side. So I guess yep. last question, why should people invest? What should they expect? The floor is yours. Absolutely. And so, uh, I mean, there's so many reasons to invest, right? I mean, just on the mission side alone, like, like the more hands that we can make, the more people that we can help get these bionic hands. Uh, on the robotic side, you know, that space is just like exploding, right? With like all these humanoid robot companies that are coming out that all need hands, right? Like every robot will need at least two. So um, you need to multiply. We're talking about, you know, tens to hundreds of thousands of these robots. Multiply that by two. That's how many hands you need, right? Uh, and so the, the return is really good on that side. And then we're hoping that that'll subsidize the cost for the human side as well so that we can even drive that um, further down as well. And, um, and so, yeah, and, you know, just to be a, a part of something that's going to revolutionize humanity, right? Like with these bionic technologies that are seamlessly integrated with your bodies, like um, I am so excited to have as many people like on board um, to, to usher in this new era and be a part of it. Well, I hope every single one of you goes out and checks out their campaign. Again, links in the description. I said it five times now i thank god because i try and say it as many times as i can I, I hate forgetting to say it so link in the description and uh again thank you for your time dr Akhtar. and um for all the listeners out there uh thank you for li uh, listening to this episode of the next big thing we will see you next time so long take care <laughs>